Welcome to Carbon Times. With the UK hosting COP26 this year, the Carbon Times podcast has been developed to get the industry talking, to share journeys, and more importantly, share knowledge. Carbon Profile has sponsored this podcast to help their clients and the wider industry learn from each other and pull together to really push the decarbonisation of the UK. We are starting with what we know best, the real estate industry. With the UK government putting their 10-point plan for the green industrial revolution in place, Carbon Times will be running podcast series to explore the topics around the 10-point plan. In series one, we begin with greener buildings, with the objective to drive better building performance and move away from fossil fuels. We know that 80% of buildings in use today will still be in use in 2050, and that real estate accounts for 40% of the UK total carbon emissions. Each series from this podcast will explore topics taking the key goals of COP26 to form the discussion. The key goals being adaptation, mitigation, finance and collaboration. For the real estate industry, we will explore owning and managing property, green leases, tenants obligations, the costs and the impact on property prices. We have interviewed some of the best from industry leaders, regulation setters, companies that are leading initiatives and those driving programmes to work towards the current key dates associated with the Greener Buildings Plan and the drive to net zero carbon emissions. We want to provide insight across our industry, highlighting the challenges and the ambitions. We will highlight practical examples of how industry specialists are driving change across their sphere of influence. We all have a responsibility to collaborate and develop a world-leading approach to the decarbonisation of the spaces and the places we use. We are, after all, the greatest problem solvers to have ever existed on Earth. We now understand this problem. We know how to stop the number rising and put it in reverse. We must have carbon emissions halt them this decade. We must recapture billions of tons of carbon from the air. We must fix our sights on keeping one and a half degrees within reach. A new industrial revolution powered by millions of sustainable innovations is essential and is indeed already beginning. Welcome back to the Carbon Times podcast. We're glad you could join us for this episode three of series one. Series one, where we are exploring the challenges and opportunities associated with the decarbonisation of the UK real estate industry. In this episode, we're exploring, is the client willing to pay? We have two fantastic guests with us today. Vicky Cotton from Workman LLP. Workman is the largest independent commercial property management and building consultancy firm in the UK providing professional property management, building consultancy, placemaking, and ESG advice to a diverse client base, including leading institutional, overseas, and sector specialist investors and local authorities. In addition, we are joined by Tom Malcolm Green from Averson Young. Averson Young are a global real estate services firm that operates from over 15 countries. Their nimble, agile team has global knowledge, enabling them to play a vital role for commercial real estate to create healthy, productive workplaces for employees, 
cities that are centers for prosperities for its citizens and built spaces and places that create a net benefit to the economy, the environment and the community. Together, both organizations manage thousands of properties and have the ability to drive the decarbonization agenda. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, Vicky, would you mind giving us a short introduction to yourself? Hi there. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Vicky Cotton from Workman um, ESG Director. And my role is to ensure that we embed ESG across our core services, property management and building consultancy. Focus areas for us at the moment are ensuring that we support our clients on their journey towards net zero at asset level. So ensuring that we understand their targets and individual courses for, for each asset under management and look for major opportunities um, that refurbishments and redevelopment present um, through our building consultants. Also looking at biodiversity across the managed portfolio, health and well-being, and various other strands of ESG to ensure that we are moving in the right direction to meet all our clients' various targets. Excellent. Tom? Hi, I'm Tom. Um, I work at Overson Young. I'm a consultant in the sustainability team. Overson Young is a global property consultancy and with a focus across the, the property lifecycle. The sustainability team is a hugely growing part of our business. It's actually one of the longest running sustainability, dedicated sustainability teams within the industry. I think it was, it was set up around 2005 or so um, and was spun out of the research and is now where, we're at, where we are today, which is yeah, really leading our advice um, both to clients and, and to teams within the business on all sustainability issues obviously with a growing focus on net zero carbon and everything that brings with it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, as I said at the start, we're lucky to have both of you here and those introductions show really how you'll be able to contribute to the conversation. Okay, so the first point I'd like to touch on or to talk about would be, Vicky, if I, if I can ask you with your experience across your career in the industry, what changes have you seen come from the clients and their requirements around sustainability? Uh, significant changes, actually. I think that the first kind of focus on environmental reporting came with CRC back in 2008. That was very much a deep learning curve for clients, but it was all about legislative requirements just to measure energy. It started a number of our clients on, on the road that they're on now. But certainly in the last couple of years, we've seen both a changing personal approach to to all things green and, and sustainability environmental reporting. I think personally that there is a, a much greater understanding from all our clients, but the population in general, uh, about the impact of climate change. And we see that in, in our clients' approach to this, that they understand it and they understand personally why this really matters. But also there's obviously growing legislation, there's net zero approaching. And whilst you know, a number of our clients have set themselves 2050 targets, there are others with 2030 targets. And, and that's a really big piece to work towards. It's a difficult, challenging piece. But we held our breath back in April 2020 as COVID hit, thinking that the ESG um, piece and the, the agenda may kind of get set back. But by the COVID piece, as happened in 2008 with the um, economic crash, that absolutely hasn't happened. We've seen funds set their net zero strategy, their net zero agenda um, towards the end of last year. And an absolute growing acknowledgement that this really matters, particularly to the funds and the larger property companies. But generally from, from our smaller clients 
who weren't as engaged in the start of this journey, an absolute acknowledgement that they have got to do something. So, yeah, de- definitely a change in attitude towards this whole piece in the last couple of years and, and an acknowledgement that this that we have to, as, a, as an industry, we have to do something. Some really good points there. Before I pick up, I've got a couple of questions to come off the back of that. Tom, what's been your experience so far? I think really to yeah to echo Vicky's points, it's really been you know all encompassing and similar to Vicky's experience. You know we weren't quite sure what to expect when COVID and the pandemic hit. Would it be you know would we see the same as as we saw off the great financial crash? And you know if anything, um, I guess people you know took COVID sort of latched on to the good that can happen out of it. Um, and it's really driven the agenda. And we see, you know, more and more that it's not just the big players now, you know, making grand gestures and proper moves. It really goes right down to, you know, the smallest asset managers and property owners. Excellent. Um, it is really interesting, isn't it, that COVID seems to have driven this agenda a lot, a lot faster than anyone I think could have anticipated. And it's helped drive the industry in the right direction. Vicky, what types of questions are you being asked by clients? I think I think the main one is we've set ourselves a net zero strategy. What do we do now? Is is the main question. And we've got we've got clients that are doing it the other way around. Most definitely, they they haven't set themselves a sort of overarching strategy. They they know their direction of travel, but they're keen to understand what they need to do before they make those statements. And as I say, there are definitely clients that have made statements and now need to understand the kind of fundamentals of how they get there. We have lots of questions around the value of certification and and whether clients need to be looking for kind of certification um, and go down that route or whether they need to be focusing on the actual sort of fundamental issues of, of driving energy performance. But predominantly, it's how do they make a difference and what do they invest in and understanding a kind of long term strategy to get there is the biggest question that we're seeing. What, what can we do at asset level? that then builds up into portfolio level to really start to make a difference. And it's most definitely coming. It, it feeds into the benchmarking pieces like GRES. I personally think things like Neighbours are going to make a big difference to this whole piece. Certification like that, practical certification, where, where we can actually start to genuinely measure performance and evaluate asset by asset, that energy intensity piece. I, I think that's going to be fundamental to this journey. But yeah, generally from clients, it's what do we do now? Is that a similar experience to yourself, Tom? Completely. You know, we've seen, I think, a bit of a step change from, you know, led by legislation initially. We've always had, well, not always, but in recent times, relatively recent times, we've had EPCs. And that was really the only the only mark we had on a building's performance. And, you know, everyone's got their own view on EPCs. But with things like neighbours and, dare I say, the, the threat of operational energy performance certificates coming down the line, we're going to be able to, to really see what's going on in those buildings and make a huge difference. Yeah, there is that. There's a stark difference there, isn't there? Or I think one of the challenges we have as an industry is which of the tools do we use? Which ones do we use in which circumstances? Or really, I think what we're trying to help clients with at the moment is how do we drive all that together? How do we drive all of those tools into, you know, using the best of each of them and, and bringing them into one? And the operational challenge, I think, will be will be one of real interest. Tom, how do you feel your clients are around that particular piece? Do you feel when you're giving them advice and helping them around the actual decarbonisation agenda that they then, you know, they, they more or less expect everything to be fine then in use without, without any behavioural shift? 
Yeah, I think what we've seen is, as Vicky touched on earlier, um, you know, clients and organizations um, setting setting targets with no, you know, no idea really how to achieve those. But that's that's our job is to help them. You know, we come in and we can guide them and we can, you know, we can assess their assets or portfolios and work out based on what they hold, best route to get there. Now, obviously, this is it's sort of early times, I guess, in in working out how to achieve that. And we don't necessarily have all the tools readily available to us. So best practice is is a fast, fast changing thing in this world. And we can only use the tools that we have available. And um, that said, the tools are getting better. Our experience and knowledge is getting greater. And that's coupling with, um, you know, with increased client ambition to go further and further. Um, and in some cases, quicker and quicker. Is that a similar experience for yourself, Vicky? I'd agree completely. And I think it's also worth saying that there is no one fits all solution to this. Every asset is different. Every every client's um, focus is, is different as well. And I think it could be that Briam or Briam and Use fit, fits one asset um, and one kind of client strategy. Um, and then for others, it will it will be literally kind of monitoring EPCs and, and progress towards a B. And others, it will be an energy audit and understanding what a building's consuming. And then the, the important thing is, I think, that we keep revisiting this. We know only too well that we can do an energy audit. We can implement all the actions. Uh, two years down the line, you know, there are humans involved in this process and settings get changed and thermostats get changed. And we have to keep revisiting. I think particularly kind of important is this focus on the energy hierarchy and, and the action hierarchy in, in this whole um, net zero piece and, and just to remember that the absolute fundamental here is to reduce 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 energy on site as much as we can and keep looking at that i think smart technology is going to play a massive role in that piece understanding our buildings better moving away from our bms says the building comes on at this time and goes off at this time and nothing happens in between and um, because that's the approach that that's the traditional approach that we've had at running buildings so that there's a huge piece actually about upskilling as well across the procurement chain so everybody's working to a common objective on this but as i started off by saying you know that there is no one fits all solution to this and as tom picked up on you know we have to pick and choose the tools and that's absolutely our job to, to guide our clients through that piece i think that's fascinating really what's fascinating me around this whole agenda is as we touched on earlier it's very much being driven by people which is really interesting and something that's happened i guess quite quite rapidly that you know if we go back five years even the amount of people with a genuine commitment to the sustainability agenda in the real estate industry was smaller and you know people weren't as conscious clients definitely weren't as conscious and i think the clients own employees and their other touch points they have as an organization are also helping to drive this this whole agenda and that the innovation piece is is really important and we've got a series coming up just around technology and innovation in the industry and seeing how those changes have come and how that can help us actually get better at running our buildings because that is you know what we're not the best at i think it's it's being able to cater for everybody in the same environment but having all the you know that big bag of mixed tools really does help with that which is great before we move on to to another point what do you think is the best way around this vicky do you think it should be driven by legislation or driving people's desire to do what's right? I think it's genuinely a combination of both. We need the, the stick and, and the carrot on this whole piece, as, as we've seen uh, across everything. I started by saying CLC was kind of the start of this journey. It was 
incredibly blunt tool that I think most of us in the industry weren't huge fans of. But but it did absolutely start this journey of measuring energy. And I think without legislation um, and without government support for this whole piece to, to drive the agenda, and that's going to come in the way of funding as well as legislation, I hope, we're not going to move it forward. But so far, the whole piece is, is predominantly hinged on the private sector stepping up and doing what, what they need to do. And I think that that will continue to be really, really important in, in the journey. So absolutely a bit of both. But the, the drive that we're seeing from our clients is around best practice and, and is around acknowledgement, particularly from shareholders and investors, that, that this has got to happen. And that I see actually as being the, the biggest push on, on this whole piece and the, and the biggest drive and that will continue to be I think. Would you echo that Tom? Completely yeah I think you do need both ambition and legislation um, you know you will always get some early adopters and some you know some people who are really keen to take the lead and show the art of the possible um, equally you'll have some who just want to sit back and you know watch their rents roll in um, which you know may not happen for too much longer if they don't do much to their buildings so that's where the legislation really picks up um, and forces people to either look more widely at their portfolios and how they need to change them or indeed what they could actually do to their buildings to extend their life. That leads on really nicely to the next point, which is around, is it genuine? Are we in a genuine spot at the moment? Are we finding that clients are looking for space? So, you know, they're coming to us and they're saying, we want to take up lovely space and we want this and we want that and we want our employees to be happy. It has to be sustainable. It has to be green. It has to be, et cetera. And then they're given a range of options. And does pound per square foot still still run the conversation, Tom, or, or are you seeing a shift there? It's a tricky one. So we've had anecdotal evidence to date on green premiums. Um, there's not a huge amount of data in the market yet, um, and I'm sure that, that that will start to emerge, you know, over the over the next few months and years. Conversations that I have with our agency teams are around the fact that people are willing to pay for buildings that offer the best in terms of energy efficiency, and they can't leave it at that. They have to have all the other sorts of bells and whistles that that employees expect from those buildings now as well. So certainly anecdotally that's what we're seeing i think you know we're also seeing investors definitely stretching themselves over and above what building regulations mandate right now as a need to, to future proof those buildings you know we know what legislation is coming down the line to an extent up to 2030 and i think the life cycle of a building call it 60 years you really want to be doing as much as you can early on and so with new builds yes i think it's very genuine you know look back in time, you'd always be building, certainly to building regulations and and probably as best you could to attract the best tenant. I think the retrofit world is maybe a little way off, but that's certainly an exciting chapter as well. And, you know, and much a much larger one, not one to be left behind at all. Vicky, what would you comment around that in terms of the genuine approach from clients? I'd agree with what, what Tom says. I think that there's an interesting piece around the green premium or the brown discount. I would agree the green premium isn't clear yet, but it's absolutely coming. Uh, and I think very quickly, from an occupier perspective, you won't be able to get away with offering a, a lesser building because occupiers will have choice. And if they've got two assets to choose from and one has better green credentials than the other and everything else is the same, that they're going to go for the green building. I'm seeing personally more of a brown discount than a green premium across across the industry at the moment. Um, and I think I think clients 
um, are starting to quite quite quickly realise that in order to stay competitive, they've got to make sure that they're hitting these targets. Uh, and as Tom says, that there's there's only certain opportunities to do that, particularly across existing stock, and we can't afford to miss those opportunities in terms of refurbishment, even down to kind of to tenant fit outs. Um, and what what we allow and what, what we don't allow in terms of tenant fit outs, we've got to make sure that every single one of those is is hitting the, the green targets. Um, and we're seeing considerable demand for that. Actually, we're, we're seeing we're seeing demand for an ESG advisor role that, well, that sits alongside a project team and just pushes the limits. And it's not necessarily about capex on these projects. It's about understanding the opportunities that are presented at each and every stage of a of a project, as I say, whether that's just a fit out or whether it's a total redevelopment, just making sure that every single opportunity we've got, we lift the scope of that building to present it and make it the best we possibly can when it comes to market. I think um, the the green premium, I think, is is really interesting. And as an industry, we've been trying to find that for years. You know, it's it's been an ever and ever going battle, really, of trying. You know, when will that shift take place, and when will it pay? Um, just for the listeners' benefit, Vicky, could you just walk us through a little bit of around what you mean around the brown discount? Because I think it's an area that that is quite under underappreciated. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's basically not ticking the boxes in an asset. So it's it's potentially a, a lower EPC or non-renewable tariffs, for instance, or no PV there. It's a building that doesn't meet the green credentials and is therefore discounted on value. And at the moment, the, the, the biggest kind of measure of that, I guess, is EPCs. And, and as we've discussed, I, I think that will evolve significantly. But that's the, the main fundamental or or other sort of wider certification. Has it got Briam and there are a variety of measures. Um, but if it's not hitting those targets, then potentially there is a chip in, in value, whether that's letting or sales for that asset. So the exact opposite of a green premium, I guess. Yeah. OK, great. <laughs> Brilliant. Um Tom, this change in this agenda, profit needs to be affected from somewhere. So where do you think that dent in profit is going to be realised and accepted? Because I guess that's the hardest challenge we have at the moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, the industry is is learning about how to how to build in um, what they need to in order to achieve the best and most efficient buildings possible. I think we're fairly certain that we see about a 10% rise in, in bill costs to, to get to a, you know, a really great, efficient building, um, you know, that's almost as, you know, that's worth that's market leading. And we've talked about the green premium and that is what that is pushing, really. So you will see tenants paying higher rents, as, as Vicky's alluded to, and that's our expectation. But really, that shift to building in as efficient way as possible, maximize, you know, building's efficiency is you know, it's becoming business as usual. There won't be people building to baseline building regulations because they will not be able to attract the kinds of rents that they will want. Um, so I think that's that's where we see it. I think that's a really important point, the business as usual point. Traditionally, the sustainability piece may have been value engineered out of, of projects along the way. And business as usual was kind of a, a base bill potentially without those initiatives. And now, as Tom says, business as usual is increasingly including those. And, and that's exactly where we've got to get to. So that it's absolutely normal. Yeah, having having cost and carbon on the same 
line Absolutely. as the same line item I think is 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 a really important piece how challenging are you finding it working with clients that aren't quite there yet in terms of their journey um I'd say increasingly less challenging which is great um I think as we all started by saying you know that, that there is acknowledgement across the industry that this matters I think the challenge actually is that everybody now wants to do it as quickly as they possibly can everybody, but the majority of the industry now wants wants to achieve this I think ideally everybody wants net zero in the next two years two years three years don't they and, and that's absolutely not achievable in any way but but it's managing I think the challenge here is managing expectations the challenging is always going to be around funding, the capex involved, because this is not a cheap process in any way. There, there are no corners that we can cut to get there. We're talking in some some cases quite significant expenditure and a long term program that you know it's our job to fit into PPMs. It's our job to fit into life cycles of, of the building. Um, so, so the challenge I would say is is a positive challenge in managing the expectation rather than trying to bring everybody up to doing what they do, certainly from from my perspective. How's that with yourself, Tom? Are you finding less and less challenging clients to have these conversations with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a conversation that clients are expecting to have, you know, and if they've not got as far down the line with it as they maybe ought to have done yet or, you know, might have done yet, then that's really a chance for us to, to educate at the same time and advocate for net zero, and things that need to happen, you know, it's it's actually extremely useful having you know having clients that are slightly behind the curve because they can benefit from our learnings. They can benefit from where the industry is moving to. Equally, we probably can't upgrade all buildings at the same time. We've got to upskill the workforce in that time as well, um, and it gives us a chance to you know to really get on top of on top of the problem. You know, you'll have some early movers. You'll have some people who are slightly late to the game. But you know, one thing is for sure. You know, we know that by by 2050, everyone is going to have to have done their bit. And potentially sooner. Potentially exactly. sooner, yeah. <laughs> well, especially, you know, with, with all of the, any arms length body or even, you know, social housing groups and stuff like that, they all need to go for the 2035 number, really, whereas the private rented sector will have until 2050, I guess, to, to, to get their, their sales in gear, unless it breaches their own policy. And I think there's a... There's a conflict there as well that, that, that you see sometimes between what the tenant wants to pay for the length of time they want to stay in a space and what that space will actually look like after seven years, eight years. Will that space still be suitable for their own corporate policies? It's it's those types of challenges that come as well. And you both mentioned upskilling there, which is which is really important. So are you finding moreover that you're having to help to upskill your colleagues, especially those that have been in the business for a while, Vicky? I think there's certainly a, a big piece around upskilling and about making sure that everybody's kind of aligned on their aspirations um, right the way from, from kind of ground up. For us as, as managing agents, the focus has, has got to be on, on starting with the, the guys that are kind of the, the boots on the ground, the guys that are running the kit in a building um, and, and talking to the tenants and occupiers kind of day in, day out, and upskilling them so that they, they're absolutely aware of the, of the agenda. I think for, for too long, we've issued M&E contracts, for instance, uh, and left them to get on with it. Um, and they're, they're not necessarily or haven't necessarily been aware of the client strategy for the building, the targets for the building, and they've, they're fundamental to this, to this journey. Um, but but it, it feeds up. Um, 
really interested in the the amount of of positive feedback from the Better Buildings Partnership training course, the asset manager training course that they've rolled out and they're absolutely sort of fully subscribed um, and and put on a a lot more sessions than they anticipated because the general acknowledgement, I think, at at asset manager and fund manager level that that they've got to upskill too. We're all on this journey and I think it's really important that we all kind of understand the fundamentals and and the basics of how we're going to make a difference. And then it's for the likes of Tom and I to to kind of to drive that agenda and be the specialists in the area. Not everybody needs to be a specialist, but everybody kind of needs to understand the journey they're on and, and the steps that they can take to make this whole piece happen. Is that is that similar with yourself, Tom? What are you finding with your colleagues? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's difficult to see like any point in the property life cycle where sustainability isn't important and can have an impact now. So um, so we're actually in the process of rolling out um, carbon literacy training to each and every single one of our colleagues around the UK business now. So we've, yeah, we've piloted that um, in the last few weeks. You know, that we see as a, as a first stage and a, an absolute minimum um, for everybody to, to go through so that you know, they have greater knowledge and they can sort of start feeding this into their day-to-day activities. I think it's also worth mentioning the Better Buildings Partnership Toolkit um, that, that's out there as a totally open resource that provides checklists for, for every aspect, I think, of, of sustainability of the ESG piece. Uh, and again, a brilliant resource to provide everybody kind of the same level approach again. So we're all singing from the same hymn sheet on this um, and for anybody to dip into, we're at the Better Builders Partnership. We're, we're very proud of this piece um, and worth kind of telling everybody that, that it exists um, and it's there for, for anybody to use. Which is, which is fantastic. Um, do you feel the government is doing enough to support the industry or are there changes needed in that direction? I think we're all waiting, aren't we, for bated <laughs> breath for COP26 and, and to see what what comes out of that and, and the announcements to be made. Blunt, I think we need more direction. We're going to need help on this. There's certainly some big question marks. We scoped out an, an air source heat pump um, a couple of weeks ago and the cost difference makes it unviable to change. It, it's a significant, significant investment that raises question marks. And that's just one really simple um, example of where it's going to be really difficult to justify the decisions and, and justify the costs in this whole piece. So, so we're going to need help from government to push this whole piece. It absolutely goes without saying, but I'm, I'm hoping it's coming. How do you feel about the, the government input to date, Tom? Yeah, I mean, echoing Vicky's comments, really, you know, we've seen, I hesitate to call them sort of piecemeal initiatives just yet. I mean, well, so far, um, you know, we've, we certainly see access to sporadic pools of funding that are, you know, relatively unclear when they're launched and then they, you know, they end up closing five minutes after they've opened. So you've really needed people to have, you know, oven ready to not to, to hark on, on Boris Johnson's favourite phrases, but oven ready projects, you know, ready to absolutely go and chase those funding opportunities when they emerge. And the reality is that, you know, the majority of people haven't been in that situation. So the funding issue is always a huge barrier, even in the private sector. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely need a lot more help 
on that side of things. Yeah, the funding's been a challenge, really. Working with local authorities and social housing aspects around those funding streams, it's very onerous to get funding and quite an expensive process, especially where you've got smaller organisations who are who are out there for the greater good, really. You know, again, if you if you kind of look at social housing as itself and they don't have the resources and the skills in the house to be able to do it. And they don't necessarily have the funding to be able to, you know, to get this, to get the applications done and, and to, you know, to put that in, which is a challenge. And it, even with the public building decarbonation, decarbonization fund, I mean, that ended up as just being a bit of a joke, really, that it, it went on a, it ended up being on a first come first serve basis. So they probably had, 30 40 percent of the applications that no one even looked at because they were just at the top of the pile when you know they dealt all the money had gone by the time they got through the bottom of the pile so there is a there is a real big challenge there and 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 i i totally agree that i think it is the government's role really an opportunity here to to help us as an industry get get into the right space so as a kind of general point, Vicky, do you think that the encouragement could come from tax incentives? Is that something that might work from the government or that you mentioned earlier around greater control over fit outs from tenants point of view? Should there be more input there from from because at the moment, the legislation primarily sits with, with the landlord? It does sit with the landlord um, and that 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 creates kind of focus and um, it, it creates it creates an understanding of where responsibility lies um, the, the challenge that we've seen across all legislation and I keep mentioning CRC it's very close to my heart um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not missing it in any way um, uh, but but we saw it there and we, we've seen it in, in numerous other pieces of legislation there's an assumption being made that landlords and tenants get on and will discuss and will find the best solution between them uh, and we all know that's not necessarily the case. We all know that, you know, that, that each party will expect the other party to, to, to fund, bluntly and frankly, um, that, that to, to make this agenda work. Uh, and we know from GRES, we know from, from trying to collect data, we absolutely need engagement, genuine engagement between landlords and tenants. Um, I, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know how you legislate for that, because even where we've got green leases, that state that there will be engagement and there will be data sharing. We, we don't often get that data sharing piece. I think the, the landlord tenant piece will evolve actually in, in the next couple of years quite quickly, because I think occupiers will quite quickly come to the table on net zero and they will want to engage because they'll have their own net zero strategies, their own net zero pathways and, and direction of travel. They, they're going to have to. Um, but what, what ideally should, we need to make happen to kind of force that issue a little bit quicker um, and, and to make that data sharing piece happen uh, and to make the engagement happen unless we align our strategies for assets because at the end of the day the majority of the consumption sits with our occupiers mm. so unless we align that strategy we're not going to get anywhere we're not going to get anywhere near net zero um, we have to bring the occupiers to the table what's what's your thoughts around that tom yeah, I think we we need to remember, you know, just how much power the occupiers have in this as well. You know, if they've got an agenda that they need to reach, you know, net zero by 2030 and their landlord's just not interested in in upgrading the building, you know, to support that, then they'll be forced to move to other premises. They'll either, you know, not renew their lease or they'll they'll try and break it early um, and and go. And that in itself, you know, should be a very clear message to landlords that, you know, that they do need to work together in order to achieve this because 
they may well find that there's nobody else that can come in and replace those talents. How are you um how are you finding the resource pool at the moment to be able to do what you need to do? Vicky first. I think it's a challenge. In an ideal world, I would be able to spend half an hour, an hour on the phone to every single occupier to, to put across our, our clients' objectives and our targets across a number of our portfolios. We inspect the FRIs maybe twice a year, maybe once a year. We, we've got one opportunity a year in some cases to go and have these conversations. Uh, and, and we've got a lot of assets to inspect relatively quickly, whereas actually what we really need to be doing is sitting down. The other key challenge is finding the right person as well to sit down with and engage with on this whole piece. And quite often, you know, we're, we're in a building, we're looking at a building, we want to talk to somebody about how it's operating um, and the initiatives that our occupiers could, could roll out. And we can't get to the right person because the, the person actually there on the ground has got a million other things to do on their yeah. day job than sit down and talk to us about, about things like that. So it's finding the right contact, it's having the right time. And as you say, from a resource perspective, it's actually quite an intensive piece, this, to spend the time. It, it, it will be worth it. But I think this is a really big opportunity, actually, for the managing agents to come together and start working on this piece together. We're all talking to, I don't know, Boots, for instance, um, separately, individually, having our own conversations, asking for our own data sets. And they've got a central ESG team. There's a piece here, I think, that we could come together and work on this together. And I know, again, I keep coming back to the Better Buildings Partnership, but I know that it's high on their agenda to bring this together and start looking at this to make a bigger difference. How about yourself, Tom? What's your experience of resources to directly attack the challenges? Um, you're similar to Vicky. I think, you know, it is an issue that the industry is facing as a whole. But yeah, there is a growing understanding of the need to collaborate between landlords and, and occupiers. Vicky mentioned Boots. Yeah, we've had we've had similar conversations and ongoing discussions with certainly some of our larger landlords who, you know, are trying to get a handle on, you know, what they can do to their portfolios where there are these, you know, old leases in place that, that may not contain green clauses. So, you know, they don't yet have access, you know, to the data that they need from their perspective to be able to, you know, to drive their ambition. And yeah, these are these are certainly discussions that are happening now. And, and I envisage a lot more of them happening, you know, as we move forward. As a kind of simplistic way of looking at it, Tom, who has the most control here? Who can make the most influence? Should the landlord make their space more expensive so they can achieve the goals? Or should tenants be prepared to pay more to help the landlord achieve the goals? The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. That is a, that is a very hard question. <laughs> you know, that went to Tom first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, clearly, um, based on the reaction from, from all of us on that question, um, you know, neither the landlords nor the tenants want to see either of those scenarios happen. Um, there's, you know, there's going to have to be, um, you know, a bit of leeway from both on this. You know, ultimately, tenants can benefit, you know, from building upgrades um, through, you know, cheaper energy costs um, and operational costs. And, you know, and landlords protect the value of their assets. So, yeah, it really is. It's all up for discussion. Um, I don't think you can say what should happen. Every scenario is probably going to be slightly different and will help both sides where we can. How about yourself, OK? <laughs> I, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I think I think it's also worth bearing in mind that our occupiers are all at different stages of their journey here, which makes it an uneven playing field, I think, in terms of kind of where everybody sits on this. I think, as Tom says, it's our job to work with our clients and their occupiers 
and sit in the middle and, and find that middle ground for them. And it's our job to bring both parties together to align the strategy as best we can. That's the biggest challenge I see across the industry is bringing these two parties together. And that's where I think our focus should be. Well, for, for, for balance, then I'll ask um, I'll ask the next slightly challenging or difficult question to you first. Thank you. <laughs> so across from what you see at the moment, is there from a tenant point of view, is there any particular industry or sector that's standing out driving this? And in terms of the landlord space, so is it funds, small owners, you know, where, where's the where's the big drive coming from? In, t- in terms of landlords, I see the drive coming from all clients. Um, big, small funds, prop codes. I think generally the larger funds are under the most pressure to achieve this from their investors, their shareholders. Um, and they need to be the most transparent about what they're doing because they have to report on it continually. So, so certainly they were the first to the party on this whole piece and possibly have the, the more aggressive targets in, in the space. Um, but that's not to say that the property companies and, and the sort of smaller investors aren't playing catch up really quickly on, on this uh, and often actually have, have a slightly different approach, a, a much more kind of hands on approach to the whole piece. Um, so want to see kind of real differences rather than maybe the certification and, and the GRESB reporting that, that they want to see us eating into that kind of carbon consumption year on year. So, so, so interestingly kind of different approach. In terms of sectors across the kind of occupiers and the, the property types that we manage, the focus traditionally has been on kind of the larger multi-let offices to make a difference. And they're the ones we've got control of. That The much harder pieces around the FRIs where, where we've got less control, again, coming back to the kind of tenant engagement piece. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, if I have to be totally honest about it, our biggest challenge is across retailers at the moment and, and getting retailers to engage with us. We've seen some very, very, and I'm not going to name names, but we've seen some very aggressive anti kind of environmental initiative clauses in leases, some some quite significant pushback from some retailers on us doing anything to lift an asset. And that's surprisingly from things that we can show absolute paybacks. I I had one a couple of weeks ago where where they they absolutely will not contribute to, to LEDs across the common parts. Um, and, and we've shown a two-year payback. So to my mind, it was a really easy win. And the retailer is absolutely having none of that. Um, so so that there, there are, as a sector, I would say they're the ones that we need to bring to this party. It's really interesting. How about how, what's your what's your view on that, Tom? Uh, yeah, I think every sector is increasingly sort of aware and doing and doing their bit. Um, retail is is an interesting one. You know. Obviously, they've they've faced enormous challenges over over COVID, you know, and they may not have the, the funds available right now. But yeah, paybacks like that do sound, you know, like a like a no-brainer. I think, you know, yeah, office multilets, we're seeing a big rise in industrial warehousing moving um moving towards net zero, you know, and even even going to net zero embodied carbon in lots of new developments. So yeah, you know, it's on it's on everybody's agenda. It comes down to funding, it comes down to ambition. Um and the legislation is encroaching um, and pushing people along that journey as well. So, yeah, it's good to see. Even from a personal point, I've seen the challenge with retailers on both ends of the stick, really. I've got direct experience with retailers who are really driving the agenda and won't take up a space that's got 
a poor rating at Shell and Core because they want to maximise their opportunities during refit to be able to get to as close to net zero as they possibly can. And then conversely, I've had conversations with retailers where they've said, well, one of the exemptions around this is um, that the tenant won't allow access. So I'm minded to ring my landlords and tell them that they won't get access so they can go along that route, which, you know, I, how, how, do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's a real challenge and it, it comes back to this engagement, doesn't it? I think that bluntly retailers will need us as much as we need them in this whole piece quite quite soon. Um, and, and across all the larger retailers, you know, they, they've got quite clear net zero strategies out there in the public domain. They've, they've got quite quite clear kind of policies and procedures around, around what they're trying to achieve. Um, what, what we need to do, and it's our job to do, is, is engage them on that and the practicalities of that and just make sure that we're we're all aligned on the same pathway and demonstrate really clearly, you know, that it's not about a landlord trying to push something through the back door in, in terms of expenditure. It's about making a genuine difference. So it's our job to, to set out really clearly the paybacks and, and kind of bluntly what's in it for them. Mm. Yeah, because that's what everyone's interested in at the end of the day, it, aren't they? Completely. You know, it, the piece for me, I think I think the really positive piece for me is if we get this right, there are significant savings, that long-term savings that, that come with this piece. Yeah. Um, and it, it's our job to demonstrate that. Tom? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it is about demonstrating that this is, you know, this is an opportunity. It's not a barrier, you know, and it's just the next required stage in, you know, in the investment in our buildings. And if we can marry the needs of the occupiers with the needs of the landlords, like we've discussed um, previously, that's the that's the golden egg. I think the public pay a role to some extent in this agenda as a whole, as we can see with the demonstrations that are taking place across our road networks at the moment. Do you think that might appear in our world? You know, would it could it be a fact in the future? So, well, let's use retail as the example that people won't go to certain retailers once this gets more public and and they they realise that that you know their favourite retailer is is dodging the agenda rather than rather than doing what they can. Vicky, it, it, it certainly happened, hasn't it? Already um, that that there there are certainly kind of you, you can see that happening. Um, to some extent. At the end of the day, though, I think cash is king, isn't it? Um, so, so we have to make sure that the genuine cost, the, the carbon cost is, is passed through on everything and, yeah. and that there is a genuine kind of cost associated with this products. We, you know, we can't carry on the way we're going where there's no value put on carbon, I think, yeah. at the moment. And we're seeing that now, aren't we? We're seeing, we're seeing that start to change. Would you agree, Tom? Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget that for retailers, you know, they have other competing pressures as well. So not just on the high street, you know, they've got the online world mm. um, to navigate to. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen the shift, huge shift in, in online sales, you know, since the pandemic. You know, it was it was pretty big before and now it's even yeah. bigger. They need to be able to make the high streets pay and, you know, just as much as they need to be able to make their online offer work for them. So, yeah, it's an increasingly hard balance for them, I think. Yeah, because um, I think... You know, the point you make about cash being king, Vicky, is I think is really important in this in these circumstances, because I think from a genuine point of view, a lot of people would like to think they were prepared to pay a premium for a more carbon conscious product. But I mean, even if you look at the world of organics, that still hasn't you know, it's still not markedly the same as as non-organic products, you know, from from that point of view. So. I guess there is the public can help with the agenda, but but 
are they prepared to pay? I guess is that is that as another sector of the client really? I guess goes back to the same point. Yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. Um, we will see. We will we? see. We will see what happens. One of the reasons why we we started along this particular series for this podcast was around the key goals that have been called out and mentioned by COP26. And those are mitigation, adaptation, finance and collaboration. And I think all four of those goals sit so well with the industry. I guess just as, a, as, a, as an open piece, what are your thoughts around that, Tom? Yeah, you know, I think we're all looking forward to COP26 and, you know, the conversations that it's going to spark and the commitments that hopefully we're going to see from nations and, you know, and the companies that go along. It's find out more and lobby and work out and what's, I guess, set and set the future agenda. It's great ambition generally. Um, and I really, yeah, I really hope that it can it can live up to the expectations that have, you know, been mounting on it now for for well over a year. Agreed entirely. He's got to get this right, hasn't he? Um, but but it's interesting that it, it it absolutely starts with mitigation, and for us certainly at Workman and the, and the way that we approach this whole piece, everything starts with with mitigation, reducing the impact. So yeah, that, that that's the starting point. I think that's the fundamental piece here. I am um, one of one of Mr. Johnson's comments that that's really resonated with me for some reason was then um, with his recent speech in in America, where, you know, he openly stated that he's gone through a lot of his career being a carbon and sustainability sceptic, whereas now he's on the same page. I don't know whether that's just because COP26 is coming up or what. (laughs) So his call out to us as a whole is that we need to grow up and appreciate the agenda and do more as the business world to, you know, to drive the agenda. So, if you had Boris's ear, what would be your advice to Boris on on how he can drive this forward? Um, I, I, I genuinely think we are doing more um, as, as an industry. I, I certainly think there's there's total engagement. So I, I think if I had his ear, I, I'd like him to meet us halfway, please. <laughs> Excellent, Tom. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's very pro this build back better agenda, and you know, in order to do that, the industry as a whole public and private need need access to the tools to achieve that so both on the finance and the legislation piece i think you know we need to to make sure that we get those right yep agreed excellent okay um well i'm going to call time on our conversation that's been really really useful i've really enjoyed talking to both of you and i think you know it's great to see that there are people in the industry that are in positions of influence that are able to work together with you know the the myriad of people that need to be brought together to to really drive the agenda so thank you very much for your time thank you